Shalom. Welcome to Pathfinder's Messianic Bible Study. I'm your host and teacher, Scott Norris, and we're going to continue with the message of lost identity, part four, beyond the rivers of Cush. So in the previous um, lost identity, part three, um, I basically did an overview of just giving you a little summary of how Israelites who were scattered into Africa had spread throughout the continent into West Africa. And so in this particular section, we're going to look at some scripture. We're going to look at some history once again, as well concerning the migration of these Hebrews, these lost Hebrews. Uh, where did they continue to migrate from, especially as they hit the western coast of Africa? Um, so buckle your seatbelt and let's begin. So uh, we have identified that Israelites from ancient times have journeyed, settled, and have been scattered into Africa and from Africa beyond. Zephaniah 3 and 10. From beyond the rivers of Cush, or in, in the Greek Septuagint would say Ethiopia, but from beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. And as I have stated multiple times throughout this series, we know that the ancient kingdom of Cush would have been around where modern day Sudan is. And the major river running through Sudan or Cush would have been the Nile River. And then you have the Blue Nile and the White Nile. So Adonai speaks specifically the daughters of his dispersed, the scattered Israelites from beyond that region in Africa. So if in that region and beyond that region, so that lets us know that he's going to gather the daughters of his dispersed, that many Israelites were scattered into Africa and from Africa beyond. We learned that the Israelite community um, reached um, not only into Northeast Africa, the Horn of Africa, which is in Eastern Africa, um, but down into Southern Africa and West Africa as well, okay? And so long ago, before uh, many of them even were scattered into Africa, there was certainly a loss of their identity and Hebrew heritage. Um, they became new tribes and other people. Leviticus 17 and uh, Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 29 states, For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them, shall be cut off from among their people. Jeremiah 17 and 1 says what? The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. It's graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. Jeremiah 17 and 4. And thou, even thyself, shalt discontinue from thine heritage that I gave thee. And I will cause thee to serve thine enemies in the land which thou knowest not, for you have kindled a fire in my anger which shall burn forever. So as we study in Leviticus 17, I mean, excuse me, Leviticus 18 and verse 29, and in Jeremiah 17 and 1, Adonai was explicit that if his people would continue to rebel and commit abominations against him, that they would be cut off from their people and that they would cease 
um, from operating in their cultural heritage. In other words, they would lose their identity. That would be one of their major curses. They would be moved off the land and they would forget who they were. And they would begin to now seek an identity apart from who Adonai had called them to be. Remember, being Israel is a calling. They were cut off and scattered as a result of their sin. Sin, as we study in the word, is transgression against the law or transgression against Torah, according to 1 John. So, the, and that's it, transgression against the Torah, or sometimes mistranslated as law, given to them at Mount Sinai. One of ancient Israel's worst transgressions was to worship other gods. And Deuteronomy 4, uh, chapter 4, verses 25 through 27, um, Adonai pronounces a sentence of judgment upon them of being scattered to other nations as a result of their sin and idolatry. So Deuteronomy 32, verses 15 and 20 states, But Yeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick, you are covered with fat. So he forsook the Lord who made him and scorned the rock of his deliverance. They moved him to jealousy with foreign matters, with abominations they provoked him. They slaughtered to demons and not to Yah. Mighty ones they did not know, or gods which they did not know. New ones who, who came lately, which your fathers did not fear. You neglected the rock who brought you forth and forgot the God who fathered you. And Yahweh saw and despised because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. And he said, let me hide my face from them. Let me see what their end is, where they are a perverse generation, children in whom there is no trusting. Israel would as a result be forcibly forced from off the land and, and or remain as an oppressed colony by foreign nations that would become Israel's fate. They would either many of them would be forced off the land or become a colony of other nations. And we see this happening throughout scripture. Most would be forcibly scattered from Israel. They would wander into other nations with a lost identity, often seeking to identify with other nations and their gods. Other nations would take them as captives and enslave them. Poverty, oppression, hunger, disease, nakedness, defeat in battle, shame, humiliation, negative stereotyping, and slavery would become their endemic plight. Yeshua prophesied that after the destruction of the temple, which happened in 70 AD, 40 years after his ascension, that Judah once again would be taken captive and scattered into the nations. And we have to understand it's an ongoing prophecy of being scattered and taken into captivity. We see the first captivity taking place as the northern kingdom of Israel was taken captive by the Assyrian Empire. Then about 200 years later, we see how Judah, the southern um, kingdom, was taken captive by the Babylonians. Uh, we see of course, we know that you know Israel gains its identity first by being a captive nation in Egypt. 
Uh, we also read later about the Greeks and then the Romans during the time of the Messiah, during the time of Yeshua. Uh, Israel was a Roman colony at that time. And so the prophecies um, were not just for then, but when you study out scripture and you look in Deuteronomy 28, you realize that it was an ongoing cycle that would happen forever. As long as Israel remained disobedient, these curses would follow them of oppression, of, of enslavement, shame, humiliation, and negative stereotyping, just to name a few. And Luke 21 and verse, Luke 21, 24, Yeshua prophesied they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive into all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And the same thing was basically stated in Deuteronomy 4 and 27. And, and, and he says, and, and Yahweh shall scatter you among the people, and you shall be left few in number among the nations where Yahweh drives you. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 41, and it reads, you, bring, you will bring forth sons and daughters, but they are not with you, for they shall go into captivity. So the scattered Israelites into Africa would, uh, the, the fate of them would be that uh, there would be eventual oppression through colonialism and captivity, which would lead to their enslavement. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 68. And let's look at this carefully. And Yahweh shall bring you back to Mitzrayim or Egypt in ships. Egypt in Hebrew is Mitzrayim. By a way of which I, I said to you, you are never to see it again. And there you shall be sold to your enemies as male and female slaves. But no one will be there to buy you or to redeem you out of that state of captivity. Interesting. Um, interesting, number one, that the word Mitzrayim for Egypt in Hebrew actually means bondage. And another interesting thing to take note of is that before the Suez Canal was built in Egypt, you could literally walk from Israel into Egypt. So there was really no need to be transported by ships. Now, there were Jews that were shipped to Egypt as slaves by the Romans after 70 AD, after the destruction of Jerusalem. But I really believe that this scripture is speaking to something even broader. In Deuteronomy uh, 28 and verse 49, it reads this. Yahweh shall bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you shall not understand. So understand when he wrote this and spoke this to and communicated this to Israel at the time, Egypt, they would have understood the language of Egypt. So he was talking about future captivities and future places of enslavement and bondage that they would be taken to uh, from, from the places that they had been scattered to, from lands they had never heard of before. Now, and, then, and then he says something very interesting also in verse 49. He says, Yahweh shall bring a nation against you from afar from the end of the earth as swift as the eagle flies. And so we know that throughout history, the eagle has been a representation of many nations. 
Um, uh, an eagle has been a representation of the nation of Rome. Um, they've used that as their symbol. Spain has used it. And of course, America uses the bald eagle as his symbol. So I believe Adonai is giving us some clues here about where their, some of their oppressors would come from and what this captivity would look like in the future. Now, before we talk about the West, you know, the transatlantic slave trade out of West Africa, we also have to look in the fact too, in East Africa, there was a slave trade um, through the Arabs to the Middle East and other places via the Sahara Desert and Indian Ocean. In the seventh century, Islam was gaining strength in North Africa. Arab Muslims in North and East Africa sold captive, captured Africans to the Middle East. And, you know, we've already studied how many Israelites were scattered into these parts of Africa as well. Okay, so connect the previous lessons with what we understand about some of the geographic um, places in which um, Israelites have been scattered into. And then we see the correlation with captivity and oppression going on in slavery. There's no coincidence, I, I believe here. I don't believe there's a coincidence at all. The same thing that happens in West Africa as well. But um, Zanzibar, which is an island off the coast of Tanzania in the 17th century, was the largest slave market in East Africa. Three out of four slaves died before they reached the markets. 17 million estimated were sold into slavery. 8 million were brought from East Africa uh, via the Trans-Saharan route to Morocco or Egypt, and 9 million were deported to regions on the Red Sea or Indian Ocean. In 1873, the Sultan uh, Sayyid Bagosh of Zanzibar, under pressure from Great Britain, signed a treaty that made the slave trade in his territories illegal. It wasn't until 1909 that slavery was abolished in East Africa. Sla um, slavery exists in Mauritania and Libya till this day. Those are two nations in, um, in Africa to this day. There's still slavery going on. The transatlantic slave trade, which um, came out of West Africa, um, 12 million Africans across, um, yeah, involved about 12 million Africans across the Atlantic Ocean to the Americas during the 16th to the 19th century. And 14, in the 1480s, Portuguese ships were already transporting Africans to Cape Verde and the Madria Islands. Spanish conquistadors took African captives as slaves to the Caribbean after 1502. The Dutch entered strongly into the trade, the slave trade, in the 1600s. The English and French controlled half of the trade, largely taking people between Senegal and the Niger rivers along West Africa. The Atlantic Passage, or the Middle Passage, was notorious for its brutality. In other words, when uh, enslaved Africans or scattered Israelites were taken captive, um, the, the Middle Passage, the route across the Atlantic Ocean, was noted as being notorious for being very brutal. They were overcrowded and packed into unsanitary conditions on slave ships. The voyage 
was about 5,000 miles. And then and, and they, they basically were chained together during a 5,000 mile voyage. Um, in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 68, I'll read it again. And Yahweh shall bring you back to Mitzrayim bondage and ships by a way of which you which I said to you, you are never to see it again. And there you shall be sold to your enemies as male and female slaves with no one to buy or redeem you out of it. Deuteronomy 28 and 41. You shall bring forth sons and daughters, but they will not be with you for they shall go into captivity. If you were to visit the slave ports today off the, in the coast of Senegal, in the coast of Ghana and Nigeria, oftentimes you'll see an inscription that says the point of no return or the door of no return because their sons and daughters who were sold off into captivity, once they reached those ports and were taken aboard those slave ships, they would never see them again. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 48. You shall serve your enemies whom Yahweh sends against you in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in need of all. And you shall put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The enslaved found themselves in places like the United States, Jamaica, Brazil, Haiti, Mexico, Cuba, Colombia, etc. They were forced um, into hard labor on plantations and some even served on mines. Um, some even worked in, on bridges and roads as well, mainly on plantations and ranches. That was the main thing, but they served in gold mines. Um, they served uh, to build bridges to basically do all the heavy labor involved in building up the new world. Um, the crops that they were involved in um, forced to labor in uh, were the cotton fields, uh, sugar cane plantations, coffee plantations, rice, indigo, and tobacco. Those were some of the major cash crops in which they were forced to labor upon. Um, they worked under cruel and brutal conditions. Um, they worked from sunup to sundown with minimal um, um, offer of clothing or food under very cruel conditions, very brutal conditions, oftentimes under the crack of a whip and with the threat of their life hanging in the balance constantly as if you could be punished till death. Basically, a master had complete control over the fate of your life. All of these are things in which Deuteronomy 28 explicitly lays out would be the um, result of Israel's disobedience and transgression of his commandments, their forsaking of his Torah. And we see this being lived out in history. We see it as we connect prophecy when trace Israelites who were scattered into Africa. Now that's not the only place they were scattered into, but we can see this in scripture and it helps to add a biblical narrative as to the slave trades that took place out of East Africa, as well as West Africa as well, as we try to reclaim the lost identity of Israel. Constantly vulnerable to sexual abuse and exploitation, as well as physical abuse. You basically worked until you died. 
You were a slave for life, generation after generation, just as Deuteronomy 28 had prophesied. And so we see this living out in history. We see these things going on. And so we it, it begins to, as we study the word, begins to ask, we, we have to, we're provoked to ask the question as to why? Why? Is there something that Adonai has in his word about our condition? And when we look at the condition, the global diaspora of Africans worldwide, we, especially in the Americas, and you can study from up through Brazil and up into the Americas, and you see some of the lingering conditions today as a result of this brutality that has taken place. And I think in the next segment, I'm going to go over some of the conditions of the enslaved and what their life would be like, the, the, the captives, the lost Hebrews that we read about, what it would be like here in the new world, you know, before we come to a conclusion of this series. And so my prayer is that this would awaken us to reclaim our identity in Yeshua, that he is a Hebrew Messiah, that he came for his people, and it understands the condition of many of the scattered sheep of the house of Israel. Because oftentimes, as we study the Israelite community that was scattered into Africa, it's not really highlighted very much. It's not really looked at much in, in many theological circles or in many churches and congregations. I pray that these messages do not inspire us to become bitter, but better. That it inspires us to recognize who we are and to understand spiritually some of the challenges that we face, that we might draw nigh unto the Lord, that we would draw near unto him. And like the word says, draw nigh unto him and cleanse your hearts, you double-minded. That we no longer be double-minded, that we no longer say things like say things like his commandments are done away with. To do away with his commands means to continue in perpetual oppression, but to embrace all that the Messiah is. As Yeshua stated, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, will lead us into a place of victory and overcoming. Isn't it the Lord who told Joshua? If you meditate on my law my, or my Torah, both day and night, so shall you make your way prosperous. And if we believe in Yeshua, we will overcome in this world. How? By taking heed according to his word, doing whatever it is that he has commanded us to do, fully living um, who we are in him, the Hebrew Messiah, that we would reclaim that identity and walk in power and victory. Amen. I pray that once again, these messages are causing light bulbs to go off in our spirit and in our mind, that we're beginning to understand some things that concern us, that we see ourselves in the scripture, and that we would be edified, that we would grow, and that we would discover the path of righteousness that he has set before us in the mighty name of Yeshua. Amen. God bless you. And I hope to see, uh, hope that you tune in once again next week to another message here at Pathfinders Messianic Bible Study that you may be enlightened, that your knowledge of the word may grow, 
that your, your understanding would increase. Bashem Yeshua, in the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. <laughs>